Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 53. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. And we were joking before we started recording about this idea of competition in the podcast space on federal business arcana. There's, yes. We're not the only ones. No, my God. It is a fiercely competitive market. Yeah. Uh, and it's good. It's, you know, we have the luxury of leading the pack, but it's good to be cognizant of the competition that's out there. What were you comparing it to earlier? Battle of the Network Stars. Battle of the yeah. Network Stars. Yeah, it would be Battle of the Podcast Stars, where right. each of us would be doing, like, I'm not sure our feats of strength and stuff reference. like that. He's too young. Mm-hmm. He's much too young. Our guest today on the program, if everything goes well, uh, Danny Werfel is here of the Boston Consulting Group and former OMB official for a long time, former commissioner of the IRS. But for our purposes today, your important credential is that you are co-host of the Gov Actually podcast that FedScoop produces. And it's great to have you here, my friend. It's great to be here. I feel like I am in enemy territory. <laughs> Thine enemy has approached me. Actually, I do know Battle uh, Battle of the Network Stars. Really? I, of course. You remember that show? That was a great I, yeah, show. I mean, I grew up. I yeah, you know, mostly grew up in the '80s, but I grew up partially in the '70s. What so network did you root for? I was always an NBC guy. I think ABC. Oh yeah. Yeah, like you know, Love Boat and Fantasy Island and that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah, I was just well, about to. I was going through my mind the criteria I would use to pick the network. I'm not sure I can say that on the air. Even. <laughs> No, even on a podcast, I don't think you – could you say that on Gov Actually? Could he talk yes, about that? Yes, we are very, you know – Is edgy? You, edgy? Edgy. That is the perfect word. You work blue Actually. on that podcast? Because we don't ever work blue on this podcast. <laughs> what we say on Gov Actually is we're not blue or red. Oh, that's – We are non-political. No, that's not what I was I going know, for. I, I was just trying to okay. play up the, the mantra of Gov Actually. Is so, it's a politics-free zone. So our – our kind of gig here is that we like to talk about the arcana of government. We do, too. What's your gig? Like, what's your mission statement? I mean, maybe not that stuffy of an idea, but what's kind of the gist behind what you and Dan are doing? Well, it, it actually came up. We were having breakfast uh, one morning together. Dan and I go way back. Um, but in particular, Dan and I share a very special bond. And that bond is that we were both serving in the Obama administration Dan, a year before I was appointed to the IRS in a crisis, was appointed to GSA, to head GSA in their crisis. And I actually like, really relied on Dan when I was at the IRS for, for advice. He was like my lead blocker. If, as I confronted things, uh, I, especially like congressional hearings and other things, or I was trying to find the right voice in, the, in this moment of stress, I would call Dan for advice. And he's, you know, he has, he's very wise and gave very sage advice. Um, so we bonded over over these comparable experiences of taking over federal agencies in in the moment of scandal. So we, you know, we were to probably would have stayed friends anyway. Mm-hmm. And we were talking one morning during the last presidential administration uh, uh, election, uh, Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. And we were talking about podcasts in general at that moment and how there were a lot of podcasts out there that were opining on the on the politics of the day, but no one was really talking about what's going to underlie the politics, which is, you know, so whether it was, you know, pres- uh, at that time, candidate Trump calling for a wall 
or um, at that time candidate Hillary Clinton calling for paths to citizenship and the, they're being on opposite sides of that issue. Dan and I were reflecting who's actually talking about what the government would actually need to do to do either of those things and mm-hmm. how feasible is it and how practical it is. So you ha- often – that's not just in 2016 but in any year of an election, you've got presidential candidates up there with these big ideas and these big notions but no one's really talking about – especially the federal workforce that's going to be required to carry out all these amazing visions and promises. And in an era where, unfortunately, we seem to be divesting rather than investing in federal workers in the workforce, Dan and I were like inspired. Let's call this out. Let's have a podcast that's politics-free. Let's talk about the important work that federal workers do. And when people are up there talking political stuff – Let's try to look at it through the lens of how does government actually work behind the scenes? I don't think we've ever had as poignant uh, a story told on FedHeads. <laughs> I also – it strikes me that we don't have anything near, near, nearly as serious a motivation as I that. I well, mean, or nearly nor as thoughtful. Nor close to Bond. I mean, well, my that's goodness, true. right. Um, No, and we haven't thought about it as hard as they obviously have. That's right. We just kind of turn the microphones on and start talking. That's right. That's why we've got so much unusable material. Right. (laughs) What do you think are the most important issues facing the people that you want to listen to GovActually right now? And how has that changed in the time since you and Dan started the show? It goes back to how do we build and sustain uh, a healthy, talented, productive workforce to carry on the the mission of government. I mean, Dan and I, I'll speak for Dan here, I think we are both passionate about the importance of the government's mission um, and the importance of the federal worker within that mission. And we, we like to say on the podcast a lot, it doesn't matter whether you believe in a big government or a small government, you, you want that government to work effectively. And what frustrates Dan and I is that we often forget the importance of investing in, in the worker, not just training, but, but making sure we have the, the, the right people, that we're, we're, at, we're in the right places recruiting, whether it's in academia or the private sector. I mean, I'm, I'm in favor of even going down to high schools, uh, civics classes, talking about the importance of federal service. I mean, there's so much more that could be done to celebrate uh, public service as, as an amazing career. Um, and, you know, right now just talking and it's and I'm not going to pin it on any particular administration. I think this started before 2016 mm-hmm. there. And, and, and I think I actually think Dan, if Dan were here, he could comment on it, too. I actually think that the Las Vegas conference scandal at GSA was a pretty impactful moment because there was we shifted away from a lot of federal investment in training and employees in the wake of that of that scandal. I think we're on the wrong trend mm-hmm. in terms of what we're doing to build the tool sets that federal workers have, worker morale. I think we've been on that trend for quite some time. And there's probably no time when we've needed it more. Right. With the changing uh, work that's going on in, in industry and in government. Yeah, I mean, and exactly. I mean, it's very dynamic right now. And, you know, I just think about – I remember when I went to the IRS, I, I realized the damage that had been done by the GSA Las Vegas uh, because the, the IRS had basically suspended so much of its training, even so much of its travel. Uh, we had IRS officials who oversaw, let's say, Northern California, but were not traveling from Oakland to San Francisco because they were concerned about the repercussions of 
of of that federal travel expenditure just mm-hmm. to go from one part of a of a of a region to another very dangerous and obviously we've built back out of that we're not we're no longer in that mindset but a lot of damage is being done and what i think dan and i are hoping to do is shine a light on again the importance of federal work doing it in a fun way we try to i mean one of the things that we try to do is not make it completely academic try to bring in some fun ideas compare we do a lot of movie uh, quotes and comparisons to like we just did a podcast where the whole podcast was was breaking down the movie Dave mm-hmm. and whether the budget uh, scene in there where they where they try to balance the budget oh yes yeah whether that is realistic or not and so we try to try to bring some fun into our explanation but at the end of the day the message what we have is like there are some hard-working people at OMB and across the federal government working on budgets that are bringing like a lot of blood sweat and tears and, and intellect and inspiration to what they're doing and it's an important job and at the end of the day we need to make sure that it stays important that we that we give those people the right tools they need something else that you obviously do is a lot more preparation than the two of us do right <laughs> well, I, I was gonna say we, we have a more modest but very similar mission <laughs> um and so your story is one that i think would resonate with people who are listening to the show talk about your career, what motivated you to public service, and what still motivates you to serve in government? Yeah, well, I, I actually the, I actually remember the moment I decided to go into public service. I was uh, a junior in college at uh, at Cornell, meeting with my thesis advisor, and in a little bit of a crisis, not knowing what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I was a, a junior in college, and I figured I'd have to decide soon. I'm, am I going to go to grad school? And if so, for what? Um, and she shared with me, she was a, an economist focusing on Social Security, and she shared with me that she was going to spend that summer, that upcoming summer, in Paraguay on a, with a group of economists helping them rewrite and rebuild their Social Security system. And I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. I don't know how to do exactly that, and maybe it's not exactly that, but that moment where she said that, I said, that's the type of thing that, that would get me up on a Monday morning and get me motivated. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, if that's true, then you should go explore your getting a master's in public policy. And I, hadn't, I didn't even know what that meant. So, okay, ready for Battle of the Network Stars time, yes, time frame? please. So I went to the library and pulled out the Harvard Kennedy School of Government's curriculum on microfiche. All right. Uh, yeah, because there was no internet. You know, uh-huh. it, was, it was microfiche, and I remember reading the. We're going to need a glossary for this uh, post. Yeah, I remember reading the curriculum for the Kennedy School's public policy program, and yep, and reading down the the course description. This is it. I found, I, and once I went into that program, you know, I was, you know, I it, it was it was an not an easy, but it was a nice transition to government because at back then at least government agencies were recruiting at public policy programs and I met some OMB people who were down recruiting and I interviewed and got the job and when I graduated I, I came to, to Washington and worked at OMB, my first job right out of grad school. And then and then it went from there. I, I spent time at OMB, I went to the Justice Department, I came back to OMB, I met Robert. You know it's interesting about Robert. Robert's uh, has always and he he tries to downplay. We can this. edit this. We can edit this. <laughs> he downplays this, but there are certain people in your life and in your career who are kind of always there at the right place at the right time to to help you. And Robert is not one of them. Robert is one of them. <laughs> is that? Oh, he is. He one is. Of them. He's oh, totally okay. so many times, and I'll you probably you probably out. don't even remember. But so I was a budget examiner in the education branch at OMB. I was a student loan and Pell Grant examiner. Robert was uh, 
I think you were a counselor to Mark Everson at the time in the Office of Federal Financial Management. And, uh, oh, he actually was DDM. And Linda Springer had come in to be controller. And she was looking to build out her new leadership team. And you said, there's this guy, Danny Werfel, who's really good in the education branch. You should look at him. And she called me out of the blue and on Robert's recommendation. And then I got my first SES job and moved over to the M side of OMB, which I enjoyed so much more than the – I love the budget side. But the M side, the management side, is where I really felt like my, my career took flight. And I started what I like to say, throwing right-handed. Mm-hmm. You know, I really felt comfortable there. But there were a couple of other times. I remember once, Robert – you, you, they were making decisions on uh, on the uh, SES rank awards, and you told me. And I heard it's like, has Danny Werfel ever won one of these things? What are we doing? Let's get Danny Werfel. Same thing with the Napa Fellowship. Time and time again, Robert is is on the lookout for me, and I appreciate that. I recognize talent. So, yes. so you were at OMB uh, as a career official, and then you got nominated to be a political appointee during the Obama administration. I did. I, the, so in 2007, so two years before the Obama administration, the last two years of the Bush administration, I was deputy controller, and the controller at the time, uh, Linda Combs, she retired. Um, she actually unretired, is now the state comptroller for the state of North Carolina. But at the time she retired, and uh, the uh, with Robert's support, Clay Johnson, who's the deputy director at the time, approached me and said, why don't you act as the controller for the rest of the of the Bush administration? It was a little bit too late in the administration to nominate me, too, but also too late to bring on someone new. So I got almost two years of, of run as the acting controller, which was a great experience uh, supporting the Bush administration, working directly for Clay, working with Robert. When the new administration came on board, um, I think they had started a search for a new controller. But one of the things that happened was the Recovery Act was enacted. And a lot of the responsibility for the implementation of the Recovery Act in the early days came to me and to the team at OFFM. And so I started having a bigger role and profile and got to know people like, even better than I already knew them, Peter Orzag, Rob Neighbors, people in the vice president's office. So when they were debating who to make controller and they realized that if they installed someone, that would push me back down a rung. They came to me and they said, you know what, why don't you just stay on as the controller? And they nominated me for the position. So I had this really rare experience of being a civil servant for many, many years and then having the opportunity to transition to be a a political appointee. So seeing the world from both sides. So take that story, which is a terrific story, and tie that into what you're doing on this podcast. You said the academic approach is what you're trying to avoid, and I think that's the strength of your program, is that... You guys both, Dan's story is just as distinguished as yours. Yeah. And government service at a number of different levels, uh, local and state, in addition to the federal level at GSA and other places, Transportation Department and others. So what does that mean about the way that you approach the issues other than the obvious, which is we've done this stuff, so we're not just speculating or theorizing? Well, I mean, it's br- that practical experience, this, the war stories we can tell and apply it to what's going on today. So, you know, you take, you take an event that happens and you want to start to break it down through the, the lens of what's going on behind the scenes or under the hood. What are government employees grappling with? You know, we started during the presidential transition. What happens when the landing team arrives? What does that mean for, uh, for a government employee? And what, the, what should they be prepared to do? Or what about the leaders of the new administration that are coming in? What have we seen that has worked well? Like, what are some good examples, without naming names, 
what are some good examples of people that arrive for the first time as a political official at an organization? And we were like, wow, that's impressive. Mm -hmm. What they did to engage the workforce, to get off to a good running start in their first 100 days. These are the types of things that we talked about through the reflections of our own experience. I think we, and I think we have fun with it. We talk about mistakes. I often talk about mistakes that we made. In some ways, it's very cathartic for me to think back on my career and talk about all the... Oh, we're getting a call. Uh, we have, it looks like we're getting a call. We have a caller on the... Hey, it's it's uh, Francis and Robert and Danny here. On uh, We're on the FedHeads podcast, and it's great to hear you, my friend. It's great to hear you guys. I, like $100. Uh, $100, not bad. I thought it was more like uh, 83 but We're actually just about to wrap up, Dan, but uh, Danny was just telling us uh, how much more he likes doing the podcast when you're not here. I've been afraid that he's been going solo for a while, actually. I'm, I'm now big in Japan, actually. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Dan. If you saw the Queen movie, you know, you'd know how that ends, Danny. That's true. It yeah, it yeah, your recommendation, you wanna, by the way. Yep. Yeah, you want to keep the band together, man. But, you know, whatever. I understand. <laughs> On a serious note, uh, I do think that what you guys are doing is really impressive. And I uh, seriously, Danny was just talking about the idea that since you guys have practical experience doing the things you're talking about, that's the big value add. And I agree that that is the most important thing that people can take away from the podcast. The downside is we don't have the uh, tremendous talent you have, Francis, and the incredible production quality. So uh, that's the downside. Well, it is what it is, and I congratulate you and Danny both on this terrific effort. Robert does too, and we're grateful for you to join us today. I appreciate it. Uh, it's exciting to talk to you guys. Yes, yeah, I, it sounds like it. Well, I started <laughs> like this, you're really blown away I, by it, Dan. Dan. I started the podcast by saying I'm in enemy territory, the the competitor uh, gov podcast. But uh, I completely disagree. It's like antique shops. You know, the more that they're in a row, the more that people buy. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> That's probably the best line of all the 50-some episodes of FedHeads. Uh, we together make up an antiques mall. Yes, exactly. So that's a great place to end it, and thanks for stopping by the show. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. All right, Danny Werfel, thanks very much. And uh, Robert Shea, it's great to see you as always. Thanks for listening to the FedHeads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.